home. And uh, we're looking at uh, the five Beatitudes here. And let's go to the Lord in prayer here before we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless us today, Lord. Encourage us as we uh, look at this passage of Scripture. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I preach and say the words that you would want me to say. pray that everyone here would listen to your Holy Spirit and uh, hear what you would have them to hear. Guide and direct us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. As we look at these five uh, Beatitudes out of these things, I said last week that all of them probably could be applied to the home, uh, but I wanted to specify these five uh, that we read today, and we're going to look at those one week at a time. Last week we looked at a home that hungers for righteousness, and how to have a blessed home, first of all, is to have a home that hungers for righteousness. I hope that you have implemented in your home some things that we learned last week. I have and uh, trying to uh, reestablish some things that kind of slipped away. That happens, doesn't it? And uh, so we uh, want to make sure we firm those things up and try to help as much as we can. Uh, we saw that we need to make our conversations include God. Uh, it doesn't happen by accident. It has to be on purpose. Uh, we learned that whether, you're going to, uh, whether you are going to go to church or not should never even be a question. Amen? And uh, it should be an absolute. Of course we are. Uh, we learned that if we want our families to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to be sure to teach our family that serving God is fun, not a drudgery. And today we want to look at the next beatitude and see that for our home to be blessed, a blessed home, we need to have, be a home that is merciful. Can we read it together? We'll put it up on the screen here, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. And let's read that verse together. You can also see it in your scripture as well, but let's read it together. Ready? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How do we have a blessed home? Well, the Bible says in order for us to be blessed, we have to be merciful. Amen? And that would apply to our homes as well. If there ever was a place that needs to exemplify mercy, it is the Christian home. Again, it doesn't matter if you're married or single, have kids in the home or not, uh, you have a home. And you want the blessings of God on your home, do you not? Amen? And so Jesus said that blessings come from having mercy on those around us. And we need to have mercy in our homes if we're going to have the kind of homes that pleases God. When my spouse or children get something, some details wrong when they're telling a story, what do I do? Do I interrupt them and correct them publicly? Uh, do I say nothing and let it go and nothing, uh, knowing that I've done the same thing from time to time? When my spouse or my children keeps making the same mistakes over and over again, what do I do? Do I become bitter and angry? Or do I graciously forgive them and pray for them? <clears throat> I remember hearing my uncle, or my wife's uncle actually, uh, but uh, he uh, was talking about his father and his mother, and his father decided to leave his, his, uh, his mother and uh, marry another woman. And uh, in the divorce proceedings, uh, he noticed that my, this uncle noticed that the reason for the divorce was ir irreconcilable differences. And he wondered, what is irreconcilable differences? What, what, what was so bad that you could not re reconcile that? And he asked his dad one time, he said, Dad, what was irreconcilable? What, what, what happened that you could not get through it? And his, his dad said, you know, when we first got married, we were on our honeymoon, I think it was, and we were parked our, the car somewhere, and uh, the radio was on. I turned off the car engine, and your mom reached over and flipped off the thing and says, don't leave the, the radio running. 
it'll drain the battery. He said, how long ago did that happen? So oh, probably 20 or 30 years ago. He said, that was irreconcilable differences? Are you serious? And he mentioned something else. I don't remember what it is right now. But something just as ridiculous. Oh, I do know what it was. At the wedding, again, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, she called over uh, her mom. Uh, I can't remember how it worked exactly, but somebody sat next to her, and he thought his mother should sit, uh, sit next to her. And he got angry about it and held on to that anger and bitterness the whole time. You know, I've heard of people getting divorced because the toothpaste was squeezed from the wrong place. You know, and just pet peeves that just ground into you and they became bitter and angry and held on to those things rather than just giving way and graciously forgiving them and, and praying for them. If it bothers you that much, pray that God will change them. Amen? But be gracious and merciful. Maybe when your spouse or siblings are getting more attention than I think that they deserve to do, do I feel resentful and feel the need to bring them down a notch? Or do I celebrate with them? When my spouse or children says something I don't understand, do I assume that they have the best motivation for doing it? Or do I question their motives and automatically think the worst? We're talking about a home that has mercy. Am I more polite with strangers than my own family? When dealing with a stranger who makes a mistake, we say, oh, oh, that's okay. No problem. It was just a mistake. But when someone in our own home, especially behind closed doors, too often we fly off the handle and scream and holler. Too many times we assume the worst about one another rather than the best. I heard about a man who came home from work one day and find his three children outside playing in the mud, still wearing their pajamas. The door of his wife's car was open, and the front door to the house is standing wide open. And there's no sign of the family dog anywhere. Entering the house, he finds an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over. In the front room, the TV was loudly blaring a cartoon channel. The family room is covered with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes fill the sink, and breakfast food is spilling on the counter. And the fridge door is wide open, and the dog food is spilled all over the floor. He quickly heads up the stairs, stepping over toys and more piles of clothes, knowing, looking for his wife. He was worried that maybe she's ill or hurt. And on his way up he steps, uh, the steps, he is met with a trickle of water coming out of the upstairs bathroom. And inside the bathroom, he can see wet towels, towels stacked high, a mile, uh, a, a, a mile of wet toilet paper and toothpaste smeared all over the mirror and walls. As he rushes into the bedroom, he finally finds his wife and still curled up in her pajamas on, uh, on the bed reading a novel. And she looks up at him and smiles and asks him how his day has gone. And he looks at her bewildered and says, what happened here today? And she just smiled and answered, you know, every day when you come home from work, you ask me, what in the world have I done all day long? Well, today I did not do any of what I normally do so that you could see. How many times have I heard a husband saying those same words, amen? Men, let me tell you, it's foolish. It's never helpful, okay? Uh, if something needs to change, pray. God does a much better job than any of us. We really don't have any clue what goes on when we're at work, okay? Uh, you don't know what's been going on that day. Uh, you don't know what she has had to deal with, but it's just... It's not just the men either. I've heard of wives complaining about their husbands constantly. 
I've heard children yelling and arguing with their siblings over the smallest, little, insignificant things. And what our homes need is a practice of mercy. Let's look at a few principles from God's Word about mercy. First of all, number one, let's look at why should we be merciful? Why should we be merciful? What is so important about it? Why do we need to be the one to show mercy? Well, first of all, because letter A, it is required by God. We're told multiple times that we ought to show mercy and compassion to our fellow man. In fact, Micah says in Micah 6, 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. This is what God has required of us, to do justly, to love mercy, mercy, and to walk humbly before thy God. In the context of these verses, in that passage, Micah is telling the people of Judah that God was not looking for a great sacrifice of rams or bringing rivers of oil. He's already told you what he's looking for. Living the way that you know that he wants you to live. He sums it up, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. Showing mercy to our loved ones is a requirement of God. Secondly, why should we be merciful? Because letter B, we're told to act like God. We're told to be like God. The word merciful means compassionate, benevolently merciful, involving, the thought of, uh, involving our thoughts and our actions. Zodiati says as referring to believers, it occurs only here in Matthew 5, 7. This word, specific word. It speaks not merely about those who express acts of mercifulness, but who have this attribute as a result of God dwelling in us. That's called spirit-filled. Amen? Psalms 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous of mercy. God has shown us mercy, so we need to be merciful like Him. Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. As if that isn't enough, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. It's a requirement. And we're to act and be like Christ and like Jesus, like God. Our Father bestows an immeasurable, uh, immeasurable amount of mercy to us. We need to extend that to the others around us. Otherwise, letter C, you would be hypocritical. You would be hypocritical. Taking mercy, but not showing mercy, is hypocritical. Go to church, but don't have the mercy in your own home. You're being like the Pharisees. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have to done and not leave the other undone. We looked at that verse in Sunday school today. You have take care of the little things. You pay your tithes. You show up. You dress up maybe even. You wear your nicest clothes. You come with a smile on your face, but yet you lose judgment. That means justice, mercy, and faith. The weightier things of the law, the Bible says. A person has shown great mercy, but turns and refuses to give mercy 
to another person is despicable. Jesus tells of a man like this in Matthew, 20, Matthew 18, where he says in verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. So seven times, and Peter's quick to say, hey, let me give you a, 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 the answer here that I think is right. Seven's a lot, you know. I mean, it is the number of completion after all, you know. And so uh, if I do seven times, I, you know, that's a lot. But Jesus answered and said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. It says, therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, it means he was taking an account and finding out what's going on, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. This amount was more than a lifetime could pay for. But as for, much, for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant moved, was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28 says, Then the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, a very little amount, about a couple of days' work. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, he said, the Bible says, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? even as I had pity on thee. And his Lord was wroth, he was angry, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, Jesus says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother, their trespasses. God, Jesus says it's a hypocritical. For you to be forgiven much, to be given so much mercy in your life for all the sins you have committed, and then turn especially to your own family members and not extend mercy to them. Oh, let's not be a hypocrite, amen? Mercy is required by God. We're told to be like God, and otherwise we would be a hypocritical. We know that we ought to show mercy on our homes, okay? So let's look at the second thing. How do I show mercy at home? How do I show mercy at home? I want to give you just a few practicable but important truths that will help you have a blessed home. Number one, we need to, letter A, overlook irritations and offenses. Overlook irritations and offenses. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us, Doth, thou, doth not behave itself unseemly. This is talking about love, charity. Love does not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. We need to know, not let anger build up by seeing the little irritations and offenses and storing them back in our minds. There are things that we're supposed to be angry about. We're supposed to be angry about sin. Anger is not wrong. What we do with anger can determine whether or not we're wrong. 
if they do things that cause harm to themselves or others, we ought to be angry. If they're falling into a sin or doing something wrong that causes harm to themselves or harm to other people, we, we should be angry. But we do not have to sin in our anger. Instead, we need to just overlook the little things that irritate you. It's not sin, it's just my preferences. It's not something wrong, it's just not the way that I would do it. We need to overlook those things. Someone said the secret to, to a good marriage is to keep your eyes wide open before marriage and half shut afterward. <laughs> Amen? Be careful you see the whole picture before you get married. Amen? Let's hear a amen there, okay? Amen? You keep your eyes wide open before you get married. Because once you say those vows, it's over. It's too late. Say, but she's been hiding them from me. Well, oh well. God will give you grace. Amen? But we need to keep our eyes wide open before marriage. But after marriage, to have a successful marriage, sometimes we just have to keep them half shut. Just ignore some of the things that bother us. Be picky before marriage. After marriage is not the time to start picking on the little things. Everyone you meet will have something that will irritate you. But that is a miserable way to live. Amen? To just constantly live irritated. That's a miserable way to live. No, a home that has blessings from God is a home that is merciful. In order to be merciful, we need to just overlook some of those irritations and offenses. Instead, we need to show love. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. You want to love like God tells you to love? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself? The Bible says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. When we just overlook the irritation and small offenses, we're seeking love in that relationship. Proverbs 19.11 tells us, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is a glory to pass over a transgression. We're talking about these little things, these annoyances, these irritations, these offenses. We just overlook them. A man of discretion will defer his anger. That means it prolongs the response. It puts it off. And then he says that it is his glory to just pass it over altogether. I learned recently three questions we ought to ask ourselves if we are feeling our anger boiling up. Number one, we need to ask ourselves, why am I angry? What is it that I'm actually angry about? Is it because... I didn't get my way. I didn't get my preference. What is it that I'm actually angry about? Number two, what did I really want in the situation? Number three, how can I best get it? How can I best get what I want? Why am I angry? It's usually not the surface reason. What do I really want? Do I want it my way or do I just want to be shown respect or love in the situation? Two things that God has naturally given us desires for. And how can I best get it? It's usually not acting out in anger, amen? It's usually not the best way to get things from our loved ones. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves 
and to all men. That would include our family, amen? Rendering evil for evil or aggravation for aggravation is not going to help, amen? It's not going to help. It helps if we just look for the best in people. Focus on the good rather than the bad. Whenever I was teaching, I attended a teacher in-service training class, and the title of the, teach, of the class was, Are You an Eagle or a Buzzard? And I, got the class, I got, saw the title, I was like, I'm going to find out what that's about. I don't understand what they're saying here, so I'm going to go find out. I'm glad I did. Buzzards look for dead things, the negative things. The kids aren't obeying. The kids in my class aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're playing with something instead of this. And I'm looking for the negative things. He said, but eagles look for living things. They like living animals to eat. The positive things is how he put it. You'll find, that what, uh, you'll find what you're looking for, amen? If you're constantly looking for the negative in your spouse, in your children, in your brothers and sisters, in wherever you are, if you're constantly looking for the negative things, you're going to find them. But if you look for the positives and focus on the good things that they do, you're going to find those as well. Are you a buzzard or an eagle this morning? Amen. What classifies your home? If I look for things the kids did right and praise those, I'm going to create a better environment in my home. Does that mean I never discipline? No, of course not. But the vast majority of my focus is on their good. Am I always looking for the bad things? So I will create a horrible environment and a stressful environment. So with our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, whoever is in our home with us, overlook the irritations and look for the positives. Amen? And by the way, praise them and thank them for the positives. Let them know you're looking for them. Amen? Let them know. Number one, how do I show mercy at home? Overlook irritations and offenses. Number two, be kind, even if undeserved. Be kind, even if undeserved. After all, mercy is unmerited, isn't it? It's unmerited always. We don't deserve mercy, amen? None of us do. So that means when God says, be ye merciful as I am merciful, as your Father is merciful, that means they're not going to deserve it either, all the time. Amen? Okay? That means God is asking us to show mercy and kindness even and always when they don't deserve it. How do we deal with people who seem to drain us by either being difficult or possibly even demeaning us and making us feel less? We choose love. We can't do anything about them. We can't do anything about them. Now, there are situations where uh, there are people outside of my family and uh, people that I can walk away from. <laughs> I'll walk away from them, amen? And I just won't go there. But when it comes to family, I can't walk away from them, amen? So I have to learn how am I supposed to deal with it, okay? So if I see something and they are being demeaning, they're being difficult, they're being aggravating or whatever the case is, I can't control them. I can only control me. I can only fix me. And so therefore, I have to choose love. 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about the great love chapter, right? It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. 
Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Does that look like the love that we're expressing in those situations? That's what the God said. That's what love is. We have to choose to do right even when it's not deserved. Men, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There's a promise there that your prayers be not answered, uh, hindered. It says we need to deal with them according to knowledge. That means we need to study them, amen? Find out what makes them tick. Say, well, no man will ever understand. I understand that, but you can learn a little bit more about it. Amen? People say things sometimes. And, I, you know, the, a, a husband or somebody will just say something, and I'll just go, big mistake, <laughs> you know? I don't know their wife as well as they do, and yet I know that's the wrong thing to say. Amen? Can I hear an amen here? Even the wife should say something. Okay? I know you don't want to deal with it when you get home. I know. No, dwell with them according to knowledge. Have some wisdom. Amen? Wives, you need to do the same thing. Don't just assume that he's, what he's doing, he's doing it just to aggravate you. <laughs> Okay? Don't assume the worst. Believeth all things, he said, about love. Don't just assume the worst. He might be doing it to aggravate you. <laughs> I remember my grandfather and my grandmother, we go out to uh, dinner with them sometimes, and my, my great dad was an iced tea drinker, and usually sweet tea, but uh, the restaurant a lot of times would give him tea, and it wasn't sweet enough, or it, was, it wasn't sweetened at all, and he would get sugar and put it into his tea, and he would take his long teaspoon, and he would stir his ice. And he would keep stirring until my grandmother said, stop it. <laughs> and he would just sit there and look at her and smile. He was an ornery little devil. Sometimes they are trying to aggravate you. But we still need to respond in love, amen? We just need to just make the decision, decide to show kindness. Mercy is always undeserved. So if God wants us to show mercy, it cannot be when they earn it. Number three, let go of past hurts. Let go of past hurts. Every home has past hurts. We're human. But if we're keeping a tally, if we're keeping score, everyone loses. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 again, says it does not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. That phrase, thinketh no evil, is a really an interesting phrase in the original. It's uh, it literally translated means do not keep count of the bad. It means don't keep score, amen? I heard about two men talking and one said, I can't do anything without my wife getting all hysterical. The other man says, well, my, my wife doesn't get hysterical. She gets historical. <laughs> she, 
She brings up every time I've done something wrong. <laughs> the truth is it can come from both sides. And it can happen in a parent-child relationship too, no matter what the age. Don't keep score. Let go of past hurts. There's typically some bitterness when this happens, and it needs to be dealt with. Forgiveness needs to happen. Forgiveness is a commitment that you're making, saying, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not think about it. I will not obsess about it. I will not bring it back up into my mind purposefully to think about it. I will not dwell on this incident. It's a commitment that says, I will not bring up this incident again to use against you. You're committing that. I will not use this against you. I will not weaponize it. It's a commitment that says, I will not talk to others about the incident. I will not bring it up to other people. It's a commitment that says, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationships. When we forgive, we're making those four commitments. And if we don't do that, we're giving room for root of bitterness to grow in our hearts and lives. We need to be careful. Commit to truly forgive past hurts and move on. Commit to not use them again. Amen? Overlook irritations and offenses. Just pass them over. Be kind, even if it's undeserved. Let go of past hurts. When you can't overlook it, you need to forgive it. Then number four, believe that God is working on them. Believe that God is working on them. You say, well, I certainly don't see God working on them. Well, 1 Corinthians, Paul says that love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Trust that God will work on them. You just focus on your part. Amen? But guess what? You ought to pray for them as well. Amen? Pray that God will work on their heart. Pray that God will work on them on their side of the, on their side of the relationship. Pray that God will show them how you have hurt them hurt you and how it aggravates you, then give it to God. Be, but be prepared. It may be that God will show you how you need to change. Amen? One of my wife's pet peeves, at least in the past, I don't know if it bothers her still. I've tried to fix it. <laughs> but has been having to turn socks right side out after they've been washed. I guess it's time-consuming or something. I never really questioned her why it bothered her. I just tried to fix the situation. I always took my socks off wrong side out on purpose because uh, this may be too much information, but I, I, my feet sweat like crazy, especially in, in my past. It's more so before. But I know I, I, it's not exactly what you want to hear about your pastor. It's kind of gross, but when I took my socks off, I would pull them off, inverting them so that the inside of the sock would get clean because I'm not going to describe what it was. Uh, but anyways, it was gross, okay? And I, I, my thinking was the inside needed to be cleaned. When I found out that it was a pet peeve of my wife, her mother said something to me one time, and not in a harsh way, not anything, just kind of mentioned it in a very casual conversation. And I thought, I don't want to aggravate my wife. I don't want to be a bother to her. And I talked to her. I said, you know, this is an aggravation. I asked her, I said, could I have a purpose for having them wrong side out? And I want to continue having that 
but would it be okay if you just leave them wrong side out and just let them stay that way? And when I go to put them on, I'll turn them right side out. Would that be okay? She said, yeah, that, that won't bother me at all. We found a solution, amen? And now for 16 years, we've had a happy marriage in that area, amen? <laughs> and it's not been an issue since. And every morning when I wake up and get, pull my drawer out, I pull socks out and I pull them right side out. I took upon myself the extra step to take care of the situation, amen? We need, to do, we need to be willing to go the extra mile to fix some of these situations. You know, and it saved our marriage. I never knew it. Amen? But I was the one that needed to change. I was the one that needed to communicate. I was the one that needed to fix something. Be willing to take on an extra burden to relieve an aggravation. Don't be stubborn. Don't dig in your heels. It's not worth it. A happy home and a blessed home is a home that will show mercy. Maybe your kids or your spouse squeezes toothpaste from the middle of the tube. Well, there's no hope for them. But just overlook it. Amen? If it bothers you so much that you can't overlook it, Ask God to help them remember to do it right, the right way. But don't get aggravated. Ask God to help you with your aggravation. Change your heart. If they will not change, ask him to change your heart and not let it aggravate. God answers prayer, amen? I've said how many times, thousands of times have I said it. God is a whole lot better Holy Spirit than I am. Let God take care of it. Maybe your brother or sister has an annoying habit, like breathing. Rather than arguing about it, ask God to help them or help you deal with it. Maybe your kids take the hair out of the hair out of the drain of the tub and set it on the edge of the tub. Are my kids in here? Okay. This isn't personal. I'm just saying. Maybe your kids take the hair out of the drain and just set it on the edge of the tub. It's wrong. It's horrible. But how about you just do what I do and pick the hair up, as gross as it is, and throw it away. Amen? I can teach. I can say, hey, there's five steps to the trash can. It's, it's really not far. Even if you're wet, a towel can dry it up. <laughs> but I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to let it destroy a relationship. I'm going to make the extra steps to do what's right. Maybe someone in your home leaves trash sitting by their seat rather than throwing it away. <coughs> Anyways. No, I'm just kidding. But if it's your child, teach them the right way. Otherwise, ask God to help them. See the importance of a house, keeping a house clean. And they could say the same thing probably about me at times. Overlook it. Be kind. Don't keep bringing it up. Ask God to do the work. I wear socks most of the time in the house. I hate wet socks. 
And sometimes when a family member drops a piece of ice on the floor and doesn't pick it up, and by the way, I've done it. And I step on it, and then my sock gets soaked. All of a sudden, sometimes the Lord brings it up to my mind and says, oh, yeah, you were that one that dropped that piece of ice and didn't pick it up. It's like, man, I can't even get mad at somebody else. No, just clean it up. Pick it up with a towel or just move your foot with the rest of your sock. The sock's going to dry, amen? It's not worth it. It's not worth causing strife in the home. Having a blessed home is going to require all of the people in the home showing mercy. And when you do, you will obtain mercy. What does the Bible say? Blessed are they, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You'll get mercy from both God and your fellow family members. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a blessed home. Help us, Lord, to do the work that is required to be able to have mercy in our home. So many divorces happen over ridiculous things. I pray, Lord, that you'd help it not be true of your people. Pray that you guide and direct us, Lord, as we live this life in honor of you. Pray that you bless our time, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation if the Lord spoke into your heart and you want to just commit to him to have mercy in your home. I hope that you will just as I am.